Attention, please. Places for top of show. Places for top of show. Hello, and welcome to Twins Talk Theater. We are Cindy and Stacy, and we're talking about theater, backstage life, and all the excitement that the audience doesn't get to see. Enjoy the show. So welcome to this week's Twins Talk Theater. This week, we have a friend of mine, Christy Kelly, who I met two seasons ago at Opera Philadelphia. It feels weird to say because it's, I don't want to say like two years because it hasn't really been two years. But anyways, two seasons ago, Opera Philadelphia, she was the driver runner, which is a really awesome thing to have when you're in the festival because pretty much she could just like drive everywhere and pick up whatever we need, which at the museum, like every single day, I swear we needed you to pick up something else. And I just have to give a shout out because I'm still sitting up with a broken foot. That year, you were new to Philadelphia, right? And you had like a broken foot. You're in a boot. And this woman drove like a 26-foot truck all over Philadelphia, which she was brand new to, on these tiny one-way streets. I don't know how she did it, but she did. And she was on time all the time. So it was pretty awesome. Anyways, that's how I met Christy. And then this year, she was driver runner as well. But also, which was super awesome for us, she worked with Bridget um, as a... I don't even remember what your title was. You're on the wardrobe team at the TLA. So her and Bridget uh, were two of the people who did all the costumes for the four shows that we did at the TLA. So it was really awesome to get to know Christy a little bit better in that sense and know, you know, that she did costumes. And then I found out that she did hair and makeup and she started in props. So then I was like, okay, now you have to be on the podcast because you do everything. <laughs> so welcome to Twist Talk Theater. Our First question always is, how did you get in theater? Before we started, you mentioned that you started in props. So what what led you to the theater nomad life? Well, I mean, I've wanted to be in this business since I was a little kid. When I was five, I lived in Southern California, and the Old Globe players brought their bus and truck show to my elementary school, and they did Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, and the woman who played the Wicked Queen blew me away and I can I can still remember sitting on the floor cross-legged looking up at the at the stage going this is magic and I have to be a part of this that's so awesome I've never forgotten that I've never forgotten that feeling that I just like electrified it's like that's when my life started yay for outreach programs that's so cool yeah that's yeah yeah so did you start acting when you're in elementary school or did it did it take yeah. time? Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I did the plays every time plays came up and then into high school, I did all the plays and I was always performing and I, it didn't occur to me to do backstage things because we were always kind of, I don't know, corralled towards performing and adults yeah. or other people did backstage stuff. And I was a girl and growing up, I mean, I was born in the early 70s. So growing up in the 70s and 80s, you were a girl and you were kind of corralled towards certain areas. Towards but girly I, things. Yeah, but I used to be out in the garage with my dad. If he'd be working on something, I'd want to hammer nails or how does this tool work? How do you, how does this work? I want yes, to Yes, that's what apart. we did. And and I would do crafts, all kinds of crafts. I was always like creative in every direction. I made shrinky dinks. I painted by numbers. I, you know, whatever kind of crafty paper mache things. I mean, you name it. And I was like, how do you do that? <laughs> so I was doing that on the side, performing all the way up through high school. 
Um, and that's how I got into college as a performance major. And then immediately realized that what I loved about it was being part of the team and part of the process. I enjoyed the research and finding out whether it was historical references um, or technical details about how to do something that that I, and I had to take stagecraft and I fell in love and I was like, I don't want to be a performer that, <laughs> and it like the light bulb went off and I went, no, I've never wanted to be on stage again. In fact, now I never had a stage fright. And now it's like, I almost feel like a panic attack if I have to be on really? stage. Yeah. I, I don't like it at all. I'm so behind the scenes now. It would never occur to me to go on stage. Yeah, so I don't even do speeches. You, yeah, but you've never been on stage. It's not like you used to perform. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I mean, besides choir, but uh, that was a large. So the girl. college. That's true. The college you went to, were you able to like switch to a more technical uh, degree, or did you have to switch colleges? No, I um, went to VCU in Richmond, Virginia, and I was taking my first semester there. Um, I was taking acting classes and stagecraft and the stagecraft professors came to me and they were like, you know, you have a knack for this and a talent for this. And women are up and coming in this part of theater and in these avenues in theater. And if you want to switch, we would love you. They kind of recruited me. That's awesome. And they made it like that. Like they, they did all the paperwork and just made it an automatic switch for me. That is so cool. That's wonderful that they were able to like recruit you and be like, this is good. This is a, this is an actual profession that you can do and you you're good at it. Yeah. They were really supportive in that way. And then I got very lucky and I will say that I had two grad school mentors, uh, Kevin McCombs and Deborah Droog, who kind of took me under their wing and taught me. Kevin is an amazing props master and set designer and Deborah is a costume designer and fine artist. And they, like, I can remember the day in the design studio when my drawing brain and learning how to see things and how to draw them and how to do drawings and sketches and rendering, when that light bulb clicked and when my brain switched to be able to see how to draw in that specific way hmm. or how to, learning how and being a scenic painter. I was also a scenic painter. Those were my focuses. In college, scenic painting and props. I fell in love with both of those. Um, and then sec decorating. I hate technical drawing. I'm not even going to lie. <laughs> why, You're like, why but I can make it look pretty. Exactly. And I can do the technical drawings, but it's like, it's like going to the dentist for me. I will put it off <laughs> and put it off until I absolutely have to do it. I'd rather somebody else do the technical drawings. I'll do all the renderings. I'll, I know how I'll keep it in the right measurements. I'll keep it in the right scale. I just don't want to. It's tedious to me. <laughs> it's, yeah, it can be probably very tedious. Yeah, I shouldn't be saying that probably, but that's the truth. <laughs> no, but some people no, are great at doing those drawings and some people find it boring. Like I do them, but sometimes I'm like, yeah, close enough. Sometimes I'll just draw it out by hand real fast and be like, okay, these are the measurements. Well, and I think that also had like the year I graduated, the next semester, AutoCAD came. Oh, so you were doing it all so, by, yeah, doing it by hand sometimes, getting all those measurements right, very tedious. 
I mean, even, even scenic painting, do you know, I didn't know what a wood graining card was. My professor was like, at the time, one of five professors that were teaching the old ways of scenic painting. Every single thing was done by hand. There weren't graining cards. There were brushes and feathers <laughs> and sponges. <laughs> and That's how I learned. So yeah. it's like, like the old school traditional methods of scenic painting, which I'm so grateful for. But I can remember going to a job to paint and they were like, oh, yeah, we've got graining cards. So to go pretty quick, I'm like, what's a graining card? And they looked at me like, are, are you even a painter? <laughs> and you're like, how do I use it? I have a paintbrush. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And they, you know, I mean, it all worked out. The job went great. And they were like, oh, you know how to paint paint. <laughs> it was like, yep. Yeah. That's a pretty good compliment, though. Like, yeah. You know how to do it the traditional way. So when you graduated, did you stick with like scenic painting and props for a while or did you do more design work? Scenic painting and props. So I started working right after I graduated. I, let's see, I had some time in Richmond and then I went out and did some like little design work around Richmond. And then in the spring I went out, I had a job lined up at Utah Shakespeare Festival. Nice. So I nice. drove out it's there. A great company. Yeah. And did props with my mentor, Kevin. And then I had a week to get back across the country to North Carolina to do props with Kevin at North Carolina Shakespeare Festival. And then they asked me to stay on and do their Christmas tour. And in that interim, I got to decorate showrooms of antiques for Ralph Lauren for the furniture market there, the big furniture market in High Point. That's where I was. Oh my God. That sounds awesome. Yes. Ralph Lauren is very tanned. You decorated, <laughs> you decorated the showroom, so mm -hmm. oh, that's because High Point's furniture market is like the biggest furniture market in the country. So with doing set decoration and props and stuff, it was doing like prop displays and displaying all of their, you know, design pieces and kind of tchotchke elements that would work in somebody's home that people would buy and setting up in vi vignettes and looks. So it's set design, but translated yeah. into people's like commercial. homes. Exactly. Yeah. So it's all for insiders in the industry and designers to come and pure designers. And they come and they get things at wholesale. And that's where all the big designers sell all their stuff. And then you get interior designers that come. And then they, in turn, will sell those pieces, you know, into people's homes. Or they go into stores and stores will come and buy they're big bulks and that's how you see what's in different design stores and places. So that was really cool. That's so like, you're like what I've, I've had jobs that are offshoots of this business too. So that, that's one of the things that was an, a cool offshoot of the business, just because I have these weird skills, this certain set of skills. <laughs> yeah. Theater people have weird skills. So, but you were like designing for designers. Yeah. Yeah. Setting everything up so that they could see what, how the pieces might work. Giving them looks and vignettes to see, okay, this is why this vase would be fantastic. And these right. textures together and these colors together will, will give you this kind of mood in a home. And I think that's why um, I stay at Gap as long as I've been at Gap. For those of you who don't know, I, I work at Gap in my spare time when I get bored. Um, wow. Because that's kind I of what I do. That. Yeah, I've been there um, uh, next two, in two weeks, it'll be eight years. Um, 
but it that's kind of what I do in the store. I do a lot of the merchandising and a lot of like, I'll just stare at a wall for five minutes and be like, okay, we have these pants, these shirts, these different colors, you know, these accessories. And I'll just kind of like map it all out of my head or sometimes with pen and paper and then, you know, make it work and get everything out. And it's, it's kind of awesome because I get to use like my theater brain to figure out like what looks good together and what goes together. But it's the same thing. Like you put, you want to put together like an outfit of, or I'd wear these pants with these shoes and these, you know, this shirt and stuff. So. Exactly. exactly. I never thought about it with furniture, but it makes so much sense with furniture too. Cause you go into the store and you're like, Oh yeah, that does look good together. Right. Right. Exactly. And, and this paint color with this flooring and this artwork and, you want these textures and then like knowing lighting, like uh, the condo that I live in now doesn't get a lot of light. And when I moved in with my boyfriend, it was kind of this seventies golden yellow color, but uh-huh. with, the, with the lack of light, it felt like a cave of depression. And I was like, honey, <laughs> we need to get some light in here. And so we went and we changed it to like these light warm grays. And then I did a dark gray trim around it. So yes, it's this nice. modern take on like a, a seaside cottage, oh. but inside instead of outside, because you'll see a lot of that on the exterior of a house. So I brought it inside and then I made sure that the paint was punched up into like a satin and a pearl and a semi-gloss. So it bounces a lot of light. So the light that does come in bounces around the room. So when you have a lamp, you get double or triple what the lamp can produce because you're using the sheen of the paint to help bounce that light around and create a warm glow. And then we've got this beautiful neutral background and these warm um, wooden floors that have lots of warm varieties of textures in them. And then you put pops of jewel tone colors and all of a sudden you've got this kind of fun, eclectic, but hint of modern place that feels like a cozy seaside cottage <laughs> that i i never thought about the the sheen of the walls reflecting light that makes so much sense but now i kind of want to like repaint my walls absolutely yeah, I, if you do it matte it's going to absorb so it's yeah. going to it's going to absorb the light and the more sheen you have the more the light bounces so when you go like if you want to go with a deep color say you want to do an accent wall that's like a deep color like black accent walls are huge now or you want to do a deep blue or something if you don't want it to feel like a cave or you're worried yeah. about the depth of the dark, up your sheen and make it shinier. Or if you don't want the whole thing to be shiny, you can come in with like polycrylic sealer and like a satin or a semi-gloss or a gloss and you can just roll stripes of it and you can create this two-tone texture with one color of matte and shiny that makes uh, like a high-end wallpaper look that gives you some sheen and bounces some light yeah i always use my that's uh when i do the different sheens it's mostly for cleaning purposes i don't i would never paint anything matte (laughs) if i had the choice because you cannot clean those walls (laughs) exactly exactly and when you have people going through a building or touching things or kids or animals you got to be able to clean the walls otherwise they just always look dirty Exactly, exactly. You're never going to be anything lower than a satin. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's terrible. That's, look at all the stuff that you've, you've done. So then, well, like, so one of my offshoot jobs in theater was I managed a paint department in a Home Depot. See, perfect. Nice. Briefly. 
So I learned, like Ralph Lauren has this great thing called candlelight shimmer, which now you can only get online, but they used to sell it in the stores. And so you can take any color of paint and put this candlelight shimmer over it. And it gives a soft glow to it as if you've lit the room with candles so that when you do light it, it makes the light bounce softly all around and everybody looks good in candlelight. It's like oh. a gloss that you paint over the paint. Exactly. Exactly. It's a sheer, so it can go over anything. It can go over metallics. It can go over solid oh. colors and it just helps give that kind of, you know, when you light candles in a room and you get that soft yeah. glow against the paint, that's what yeah, it right. does. Everybody looks, everyone looks awesome in candlelight. I love candlelight. Exactly. Candlelight is the most flattering light for everybody. And that Ralph really Lauren, cool. they have, I know for a while I was buying their metallic colors and then it was hard to find the metallic colors. But yeah, they have a lot of cool paint colors and styles and stuff um, that you can't find all over the place. Yeah, it used to be out in stores, and then trends have changed, but you can still get them online. That's good to know. I can order so them you online. Can try, yeah, you can try Home Depot online, and you can try Ralph Lauren online. So both of those places, and you should be able to find, like, all their good metallics and the yeah. candlelight shimmer. Because their metallics had, it was just the best gold I could find. Other people had a gold, but it just didn't really have that shine of a gold. Like I was trying to gold leaf something, and Ralph Lauren had the best. Exactly, gold they to really do recreated the metallic. Yeah, I didn't even know Ralph Lauren had paint. See how much I paint? Yeah, good job. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't. I didn't know that was a thing. <laughs> Welcome, Cindy. Welcome. Yeah. Thank you. It's See, a very interesting world. Yeah. I learned something new today already. I feel like I'm I'm good for the day. Yay! It's only 1.30. <laughs> so I have a question before we move on. How did you go from, because you said you grew up in Southern California. How did you decide to go to school on the East Coast? Or did you move to the East Coast first and then stay on the East Coast? Uh, well, my dad's a retired Marine. So we were stationed uh, in Camp Pendleton is when the Old Globe players came. So got it. And then okay. we got stationed... Uh, my dad got stationed at headquarters in Roslyn, right outside of D.C., and I did the rest of my growing up in the D.C. area, which is where a large part of my theater career happened. Um, and then that's how I went to VCU, and then on from there. That makes sense. I'm always just curious because, like, we grew up in Southern California, and obviously Stacy and the entire family is still in Southern California, and I'm in New York. So I'm always curious, like, how people move around, you know, like. Oh, right on. Yeah, I'm in yeah. Long Beach, but we grew up in Redlands, so we know Camp Pendleton. We drive through it to yeah. get to San Diego. Yeah, we we were at 29 Palms first, and then Camp Pendleton. And another crazy thing, well, this is a sad thing, actually, is the wildfires going on up north yeah. in California right now. My mom's side of the family, my mother's mother's part of the family were founders of the town of Paradise, California. Our Aww. parents were just up there and a year ago, and they said it's heartbreaking. It was such a beautiful town. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I like, we're so sad. My grandfather's buried there. Like, our family history is gone. Yeah. Oh, that's horrible. So. But Do yeah, you... so we, so on a more positive note, yes, <laughs> I love California and I have connections to it. <laughs> But now you've mostly just been on the East Coast, right? For for the most part. Right, right, right. So I know 
one of the days you and I took a trip in the truck. We took a couple trips all over mm -hmm. Philadelphia. But you were telling me about when you worked, was it when you worked on Broadway? Was it when you were doing, where were you doing makeup or hair? Oh uh, gosh. Man of La Mancha? Yes, Man of La Mancha. Yeah. How did you get that? How did you get there? Well, this is when I was working in DC and um, the David Stone and his group who are the producers of Wicked, this was the show they were doing right before they did Wicked. And they were coming down to DC and teching and they needed someone to, they had Paul Huntley had done the wig and mustache and they needed someone to do the makeup. And in Europe, a lot of times the costume designer is also the set designer and sometimes mm -hmm. the lighting designer too. So that designer came and he was wonderful. And he was like, I have too much on my plate. And they called the Shakespeare Theater, who I was working for on a regular basis, contracting with. And they said, we need someone. Who's, who do you have? And they gave them my name. So they called me. So I came in and he said, look, I haven't even thought about it. Just give her the design. Give her the credit. He's like, well, you just do the makeup for the show. So I don't wow. have to worry about it. And I said, okay. And so that's what, and I had a lot of friends in the show, actually, from having worked at Arena Stage, a lot of the cast had come through Arena Stage. So like uh, Brian Stokes Mitchell, his wife, Allison, and I were already friends because I had done a couple shows with her and had met Stokes. And there were several other people in the cast who would come through. Um, so it was a, a good fit from the beginning and they all trusted me. Mm -hmm. And so we, we just worked it out and I did, you know, came up with the makeup plots and the designs for the different looks because he starts off as Cervantes, goes on mm -hmm. stage, starts to tell the story of Don Quixote and, and starts to take you into the world of Don Quixote and he has to put a little bit of makeup on on stage and then he comes off stage and completes the transformation. So I had to not only do the design but then break it down into here's what he can do on stage in the beginning. And then when he comes off stage, here's how he gets the rest of the way there and then teach him how to do it and make sure that he had everything he needed. And then with Mary Elizabeth playing the Aldonza role, it was, you know, there was her natural makeup and kind of sun kissed and, and bronzed makeup. And then there was all of the bite marks and scratch marks from after the rape scene. And then the muleteers had to be dirty. And then there's the pious family um, of Don Quixote who, you know, very clean and pristine. And so it was kind of reinforcing the story as it went along and separating the different groups of characters so that you stayed with the feel of where they were. Like the Don Quixote's family um, are all in these deep navies and stuff. So it's a, a very cool kind of starched feel to it so their makeup stayed cooler and lighter as opposed to like Don Quixote and Aldonza and the Muleteers were warmer colors and more light filled because they're in this fantasy world whereas mm -hmm. everybody else was kind of cooler and on the outside of the fantasy world that's so cool did you get to actually run the show or did you just design it and then have other people run the show I designed it. Other people ran the show. I designed it. I went up for tech um, and did tech. And then Maren Maisie, oh, the wonderful Maren Maisie, who sadly passed away this year, 
um, a few months ago, took over the Aldonza role when Mary Elizabeth's contract was up. So I went up and kind of redesigned the look for her because she and, and Mary Elizabeth have very different looks. Maren was blonde, blue eyed, um, a nice mix of like a peachy, rosy tone complexion. And Mary Elizabeth is, um, has a more European golden undertone to her skin. So there were some fluctuations in just bases and contours and things like that to punch up for the specific actress. So I went up and redesigned for her. Um, and then I got to work with Stokes and Marin on the Memorial Day show when they opened the World War II Memorial in D.C., which was That's fantastic. Really cool. And they were the hosts that year. And so I got to um, work with them and do their hair and makeup for that and meet a bunch and of other people. Was that because you already knew them? Yes, it was because I already knew them and because of some of the people I had worked with in D.C., I had worked with Opera Comique from Paris. They came mm-hmm. to D.C. to the Kennedy Center. And this was when we were doing Freedom Fries and supposedly we hated France. Oh, yeah. And they came <laughs> over. Yeah. And they came and they even brought a documentary crew. And we all worked together. And we were like, that is not us. We don't care about that. I mean, they didn't know how they were going to be received. They were afraid that hateful things were going to happen to them. And we hit it off. I had taken French in high school and in college. So I was the only one on the crew who could, my French started to come back to me. So who could communicate reasonably well with the people. So they interviewed me for the documentary. And by the end of the week, I mean, people were crying and like so happy. And it was such a wonderful experience, but it was partially because I had known people and because of the crew I'd worked with on that that I got to do mm-hmm. the Memorial Day show. That's so awesome. It's just another one of those stories, like you're just in the right place and you know the right people and you just get yeah. these really awesome contracts all the time. Yeah, and, and I love the, the Opera Comique connection. I love that one of the things I love about this business is that art is bigger than all of that BS and that we come together. And it's one of the things that, it's why I love this business. It's my favorite parts. I love the process and I love being part of a team and that we're all a team yeah. and we're all working for the same goal and we're all in it together, no matter how hard or stressful it gets or, or how great and wonderful it is, we're all doing it together. And that's such a rush for me. And mm-hmm. it's my favorite part about it. And you get to meet the best people and it, and it becomes bigger than all the other negative BS that's out there. And if we had more of that in the world, I, we'd It'd be, be a much a lot better, better place. Off. Yeah. yeah. And I know I sound really idealistic, but I believe it. But it's very true. <laughs> yeah. I, say, I say that all the time about the people. I'm like, you just meet the most wonderful people. And, you know, I'm lucky enough to freelance and to travel all over the United States on a regular basis. And every time I go on a new contract, I just meet like 20 new people who I think are just so amazing and so wonderful. And I, then I get so sad when I have to leave you know, when the show's up, because I'm like, but I just made all these new friends. They're so great. So yes, which is what's awesome about going back to a place year after year, you know, like going back to Philadelphia twice is, you know, now I feel like I got to work with you twice and all these other, you know, Maggie and David and great people that you get to work with. So I does know. have does have its advantages and disadvantages, but they are the best people ever that you get to meet on on this gig because everyone kind of believes in the same thing. They, they believe in the art, even if you don't specifically believe in that show, you know, you believe in creating the art. 
and making it work. Yeah. And telling a story and putting, putting it out there that this is just another walk of life or another viewpoint, or it gives you something to think about, to connect to, or, you know, to realize how maybe much more alike we are than different. Yeah. You can just put other things aside and go along for a ride, go on a journey. I think the other viewpoint is a big one too. I just uh, worked on a show called Viet Gone and it was telling kind of the Vietnam War story from the Vietnamese side. And I'm like, oh yeah, I never thought about it from their side because being an American, we don't ever see it from our side. And it was very interesting to see it from their side. And, you know, it was shocking to me that I don't know why I didn't think about it from other people's side, but I never did. Absolutely. And, and what a war to look at the other side from. Yeah, because they, they were fighting too. It was on their land. They obviously viewed it different than we did over here with hippies and protesters and things like that. But they were fighting with the Americans against the Viet Cong, Viet Cong mm-hmm. on their soil. And when, when Saigon fell and they had to leave, like they left friends, they left family, they left their home, um, and all of that. So a very different story than, you know, us protesting about being over in Vietnam. Exactly. Hmm. And theater gives you that, that opportunity. Yeah. Something I would never have gone to do. So I have a question about, so far you've talked about, you did painting, you did props and then somehow you mm-hmm. got put into a makeup design role in a Broadway show. How, did, did you do makeup before? <laughs> How did you get into <laughs> makeup? transition to that. <laughs> okay. So um, I was, so after bouncing back and forth between Utah and North Carolina for a couple years, and then I lived out in Utah for a while, I came back to the East Coast and I started working at Arena Stage. And I was their assistant scenic artist painting under uh, this man, Lee, and I can never pronounce his last name, but his wife, Helen Wong, is a costume designer in like the Maryland area. And Lee, and they're from China, and Lee is the most incredible painter. So I learned a lot from him and was so fortunate to get to work with him. And my first season there, I didn't have a contract and they were gonna give me a contract the next season. They just wanted to keep me working. So I was finishing up painting And they were doing the women was the final show of the season. 1940s, total glamour, 18 women in the cast. Paul Taswell was the costume designer. And it was supposed to be 18 wigs, 18 women. And they said, hey, can you do wigs? Because we need another wig person. And if you can do wigs, we could employ you for a couple more months. And I said, sure, I can do wigs. I had never done a wig in my life. No, but somewhere... (laughs) Something inside of me just made up my mind that, yes, I could do this. So I said, sure. And it ended up being 45 wigs oh, and me wow. and the supervisor. But I will tell you, by the end of that show, I could do every roller set and style every single wig in that show. And I did. And it was just, I don't know, I had a knack for it, I guess, that I didn't realize. And the wig designer who had built the wig said, Hey, you've got a knack for this. So my official contract, first official contract season at Arena, I was assistant painter and it's a non-union house. So I helped with wardrobe and quick changes. I helped with wigs. I mean, 
I was like, whatever has to get done. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I was helping everywhere with everything. And then a couple years later, the, or the year after that, then the supervisor left. And so they offered me the supervisor position and makeup wasn't really something that they were doing a lot of, but we were doing the, the remount of the 50th anniversary of the great white hope that originally started starred um james earl jones and um oh the actress Catherine. i can't remember her name um i don't think i know that show yeah well here's here's what will tie it oh i should look it up at some point i have to look up the name of the actress because she's a famous actress james earl (laughs) jones was the great white hope we did the 50th it was the 50th anniversary of arena stage so we remounted that because that went on to Broadway. And guess who had his first starring role, who is now a big movie star, which we all knew he was going to be a big deal. Mahershala Ali played the Great White Hope from Moonlight, and he's in the upcoming movie Green Book. Yeah, I saw that oh, billboard just the other day. That looks really good. Yeah, yeah, yeah I can't wait to see that. And he, that, this was his first like big starring role. And yeah. so they needed me to do effects makeup, all the bloody makeup for the fights and stuff like that. So I really got into the makeup design of it and I loved it. And like the wig designer put me in touch with a local uh, makeup and effects makeup guy. And so I would kind of bounce things off of him and get advice from him. And I really got into the makeup, which kind of combined props and makeup is like painting. So it brought in my art skills. And doing hair is like sculpture. So it brought in some of those because <laughs> it really, it's all about line and form and shape. Yeah. So it no, I love the way you're comparing it because it's, it's so true. And it's, it's so awesome to think about it that way. Yeah. So I got really into making like wounds and blood and guts and all that crazy stuff. That's like how I started into makeup and I backed into the fashion end of it. So, like, I've done weddings and stuff like that and done the softer, prettier stuff. But I sort of backed into that from doing more of the crazy, fantastical, uh, yeah, (laughs) effects stuff, which I had so much. So that was my first makeup show. And then I really got into, I kind of took on the makeup designs of every show that we did at Arena. From then on, it really brought the makeup aspect of it back to be a thing. And then I started getting calls from people who were producing shows for Discovery Channel, for like the History Channel. And they would do they do a lot of filming down in DC? Yeah, their their offices, Discovery Channel main offices are in Silver Spring, Maryland. So they have production companies in the area that work for them. And so there's lots of History Channel and Animal Planet and Discovery Channel things. So I was doing historical things like I did this Vikram Jayanti, who is a documentarian. He did uh, When They Were Kings, this great documentary on Ollie and Frazier. We did mm-hmm. a three hour documentary on Lincoln. It was kind of the dark side of Lincoln, um, more about his depression and things kind of behind the scenes. And in that documentary, it was always supposed to be Lincoln's point of view. You never saw him. My friend was doing the costumes, asked me to come and straighten bow ties. She's like, hey, are you busy this week? And I had the, I wasn't busy that week. And so I came out, she's like, just come straighten bow ties and make some money. So I did. And the production manager I had worked with, and she's like, I didn't know it was you. 
went to Vikram, said, hey, we apparently told him we have a real hair and makeup person who can do amazing things. So they handed me a bag of wigs, bad wigs, and the guy, and they said, you got 45 minutes. Can you make him Lincoln? So I <laughs> cut up this cloth-fronted wig and did contour and shading, and boom, he was Lincoln. And they reshot the beginning of it to show Lincoln and to show his face and to get these shots that they didn't think they were going to get in the beginning. So crazy things like that happen. That is so cool. You're like, I just came to straighten bow ties. Yep. Now I have a documentary <laughs> title yep. under my belt. Yep. Did all kinds of things like that. It, there's a, okay, here's a little bit of like TV and uh, connection. Uh, I can't think of the word, um, crossover, a little bit of TV trivia, I guess. Um, so they're in DC, they have a thing called the 48 hour film festival, which mm -hmm. has, I know has been done in other cities, but it started in DC. Um, and I got into it because friends of mine were producing it and they asked me to be a part of it. So I ended up working with people from discovery channel and you meet at a place and you pick your genre and then everybody has a character a line, a prop that everybody has to use in their movie. And you have 48 hours to write, film, edit, and present a movie. Wow. Yeah, I've seen so that done in theater, like 24-hour theater. Exactly. Exactly. So I was with Discovery People, and we got Mockumentary, which is what we didn't want. We wanted, like, horror or something, you know, something totally different. So we did a spoof on trading spaces called trading spouses. And we shot in Georgetown. And then there's this cool house. that's out in the woods in Maryland built like a mushroom that these hippies built that people actually live in. So we did that kind of thing. And then we take it to the film festival and we won, but our editor cut off the last word of the line that everybody has to use. Oh no. So yeah. So it disqualified us. But everybody loved our spoof, so it got passed around a lot. And I got a call six months later from the DP. We had worked on a bunch of stuff together. And he was like, hey, I just wanted to give you a heads up. Guess what's going to happen that we're not going to see a penny of, but they're going to use our idea. Yeah, it's, know, a, the it's a show, famous Life TV Swap? show now. Yeah. I was just going to say that's, that. Like That was the inspiration. That's where it came from. <laughs> but you got nothing so, for it. That's so. So you're welcome, sort of. <laughs> <laughs> for that reality tv bit <laughs> for what started out as a mockumentary spoof on something and then now somebody's making tons of money off of it exactly and there's all these franchises of it so that's where that came from <laughs> that's so cool wow. see and you were worried about not having interesting stories and you just talked about like <laughs> doing a broadway show and being a mockumentary and like starting wife swap like how are these <laughs> exciting stories Exactly. I'm like, man, I'm sitting on my couch wrapped in a blanket right now. Not very exciting. <laughs> yeah, Stacey's complaining that she's cold, but she won't put on, I mean, what is it, like 70 degrees there right now? She was I like, know, I, I didn't put my heater. heat on, but I won't put a long sleeve shirt on. And I was like, yeah, dude, it snowed here yesterday. I'm like, I don't know what you're complaining about. Exactly. Last night I had to go out and help. I work with this decor company here in town sometimes. So we had to go do an event uh, fundraiser for the March of Dimes at the Please Touch Museum. So I was mm -hmm. out doing lighting and decor last night in a snowstorm. Oh, no. And then yeah, maintaining no. a wig this morning. 
You're like, because that's a freelance life. Exactly. So exactly. we, I had a question that actually came up when you and I were, uh, I think the last time we had to drive out to the shop, but you were talking about, cause you're recently moved to the Philadelphia area, right? Yes. And so a lot of the, the contacts that you had in the DC area and a lot of the connections you had in the theater are kind of uprooted because you moved to a new town. So what is it like for you to move to a new city having so much background? Because I moved to New York City, but I had just graduated college. So I didn't really like lose any connections because I didn't really have any connections to begin with. And I feel like it's so different for you who like spent years and years building up this network of people and then to move somewhere else. What is your process to to kind of like build new connections? Well, it's a little overwhelming. I, I will admit that it's, it's a little overwhelming, but it's also kind of exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, and being in the business, knowing where to look for jobs, where to look mm-hmm. to contact people and having my, having a good resume full of things and a variety of things, you just kind of start out. Um, like I moved up here for a personal reason. So I didn't have that professional connection to people up here, even though it turns out some of the DC people that I know have designed up here, but that was not what brought me here. A personal connection brought me here. So I kind of hit the ground running going, all right, well, I know what avenues to take going online, looking up production managers and looking up contacts for like IOTSE locals and stuff like that and saying, all right, I want to get on your call list or here's my resume if you need anybody. And then starting to make those connections, it doesn't help when a couple months in, you're finally starting to book work and you're lining things up and then you break your leg terribly and have to yeah. cancel all that and nobody knows you. And you're like, I'm not a flake. And you send pictures right. of yourself like with a cast. And <laughs> you're like, I just can't do anything right now. Yeah. That, hence, that's how I took the driving job with Opera Philadelphia. I was in my boot for four days when I started driving for them. And Maggie and I were back and forth on the phone through the process of my recovery. I would give her updates as it like looked like, am I going to make it into a boot and actually be able to drive? And yeah. she was so wonderful to hang in there with me. I will say that I feel so fortunate in the Philadelphia area. The reception that I've received from everybody, I talk about the city of brotherly love. I have felt that from day one. It's such a wonderful place. I love this theater community. And the more I get to know it and the more people I meet, the happier I am. And the more I feel like it's such a great choice. And I'm so excited. So I just keep taking job after job and just keep looking. It's, you know, the hustle. Our our voice teacher in college used to say, are you doing the hustle? Are you honestly doing the hustle? Every day, are you doing something to forward your career in some direction? That and my track coach used to stand out. He was also the football coach and he was really loud. And when we run time trials, he would yell so everybody could hear. Every All the other teams would be out practicing. Who's last? Who's last? And you didn't want to be last with everybody looking at you. So I hear that voice in my head and that's a motivator for me. I never want to be last in the work that I present or Mm -hmm. in my reputation or the designs I do. And I don't want to be last sitting on the sidelines, not working because I love Mm -hmm. what I do. 
whatever the job is, it's always different, but I love it. I get such a thrill. So I never want to be last. (laughs) (laughs) It is always amazing to me how much, how much you always have to work. And I think my, my dad said something to me a few years ago. He was like, I don't know anybody else who has done more interviews and has like networked themselves more than you. Because even though my dad, in a sense, is a freelance artist, he's a scientist, but well, they have their own company. Artist. And so they, um, <laughs> you know, they have to bid for jobs and go out and find the work. But he was just like, Cindy, I feel like every time I talk to you, you're like interviewing and you're updating your your cover letter and you're updating your resume and you're talking to people. And I was like, well, yeah, because that's just what I have to do. And, you know, I can't say I'm good at it, but I guess you get better with time. And well, it doesn't, it's not easier every time I do it, I feel like. You know, it's just as difficult the 20th time as it is the first time, but you just kind of like learn these skills and you just keep going because if you stop for even like a month, you know, you kind of lose connection with people. Exactly. It's like yoga. If you don't do (laughs) downward dog for a month, you're going to feel it in your hamstrings and your shoulders. (laughs) If you keep up with that little downward dog or a little planking every day, that muscle, you keep that muscle going. That's true. And That's true. And then it's not overwhelming, you know? Yeah. I think it would be really hard if I didn't love this business. Yeah. And I, and I wasn't still thrilled. I mean, I'm still inside. I still feel like that five-year-old who wants to be a part of the magic. Because That's we are part of the like. magic. Yeah. We get to create magic all the time and it's so awesome. Yeah. I feel like the luckiest person. So that's a huge motivator for me. So I just kind of, I just keep putting it out there, you know, and keep hoping that I'll get the payoff. I mean, so far it's worked. And I feel like that's, that's a testament also to who the people are in the Philadelphia area that are working in this business. I think there's a lot of great people here. I mean, I I got to meet you through it and you're one of the first people I met. So I feel like I, especially with the opera, that was like my intro to Philly and everybody there is so fantastic that I've worked mm-hmm. with. So I feel very welcomed. I think the more I, I go to Philadelphia and the more people that I meet in Philadelphia. And I said this before I even got the job in Philly. Um, my husband and I went to visit the year before and I was like, I really like the city. I was like, my dream is to work at Opera Philadelphia, but I have like five or six more years before I have that much experience. And then like nine months later, David Levy called me. So it's pretty freaking awesome. But the more people I meet, you know, it's just, like you said, everybody is so wonderful and so amazing. And, and the crew that I worked with my first year, but especially the crew this year, like I can't be more in love with people than I was with these people. Everyone is just so awesome. And then I would have lunch with them and they would tell me about all the other theaters they work at and all these other people they know, you know, and it's just such a really awesome community. And you don't really think of Philadelphia, at least I don't think of Philadelphia as a big theater community for some reason. But there's so much theater being done in Philadelphia and around Philadelphia. And there's all of these great big theaters like Opera Philadelphia and Curtis and AVA and the symphony and the orchestra. But there's also all these like really great smaller theaters all around Philly, even downtown. Um, The one that Bridget has. um, Oh, my God. Pulley and Buttonhole. Pulley and Buttonhole. Pulley and Buttonhole. I forgot the and I was like, pulley buttonhole doesn't make any sense. Sorry, Bridget. <laughs> pulley and buttonhole. Um, but there's all these like such awesome theater companies out there. And all of these people that I meet all kind of know each other. And I'm like, can I just move to Philadelphia and work in Philly? This is such an awesome community of people. Exactly. I love that it's this little family network. 
So being able to navigate around it, I I feel the same way you feel. Um, And I, the more I work with people, like especially working with all of you with the opera, you're so, and for you to think that you needed five or six more years to have (laughs) enough to be able to work at the opera amazes me because I, I, of course you should be working there. In my impression in working with you, you're absolutely more than qualified to be working with them. You do such an amazing <laughs> job. You make me make sure that I'm upping my game and doing a good enough job. You know, but that's, to drive that's around in a boot. Like... I, I'm, I'm seriously, I don't know how she drove around Philadelphia in a freaking boot. Like I, when I had, well, when I have my boot on now, I barely make it to the bathroom. And she's like she... navigating these tiny one-way streets in downtown Philadelphia. I have no idea how she did it. Wait, <laughs> lacking. You know. What? I said twin is slacking. <laughs> I know, serious. <laughs> she didn't even break a bone. They just chiseled a piece off of it. Way over dramatic about it. <laughs> Chrissy did tell me some awesome ways though, to get to the shop so I don't have to take the freeway, though. So, you know, I can yeah. avoid traffic next time. Yeah, I, some way less stressful, easier ways. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's the highlight, the less stressful part, because... Exactly. I think it was kind of doing the driving one I was going stir crazy I'm not someone who doesn't like to work I love what I do so I'm mm-hmm. motivated because I'm I'm at my best when I'm consistently working doing mm-hmm. some sort of job in the, in this in this field so that's when I am my best that's when I'm most fulfilled when I'm being creative and and they pay me for it I keep waiting <laughs> for them to, like for somebody to find out the secret uh, for them to be like, no way. Take all the money right? back? <laughs> yeah. You just get to be joyful. That's payment enough. Like, you know, California dollars. <laughs> like, you get to live That's in good California. Experience. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Well, thank God they don't pay me California dollars. I couldn't afford rent out here. <laughs> you know, or the sun, what do they call it? California or sunshine dollars, where like you get to oh, live sunshine, in that beautiful yeah. climate. Yeah, you get to live in the beautiful climate. Isn't that part of the payment that we give you for living in California? (laughs) Yeah, that's it. (laughs) If it keeps snowing, I could totally take some California dollars. I mean, it's only snowed once, but and I never left the house. But you You saw it. It's outside. It's all white. (laughs) I saw pictures. So, what are you working on now? What projects do you have? do you have going on at the moment? And I say projects plural because you probably have like three of them. I do actually. So <laughs> I was, <laughs> um, so I'm maintaining a wig at Arden theater. One of the, another one of those great theaters in mm-hmm. um, Philadelphia. So they, my name got passed on from a designer. I just finished doing a design for wig design for she loves me at Villanova. That costume designer passed my name on to the Arden. So I'm doing maintenance on a wig for them. I'm about to do some more painting at Bucks County Playhouse. Which Ooh, is, I love Bucks County. Yeah. Yeah. They're right up the river from me. So that's like the one place where the people are fantastic. And I don't have to make the long commute into Philly, which I don't mind because I love my work. But it's nice to just go five minutes and have this beautiful river drive. And it's actually like 15 minutes right up the river and go paint. So that's I'm still a scenic artist. So I'm up there doing awesome. that and I'll help them with props sometimes too. So that's cool. And then um, I'm going to start another wig design um, at a theater in Westchester called Resident Theater Company, 
with a costume designer I've worked with a couple times. And then what is, oh yeah. And then the decor company that I work with um, has a whole bunch of Christmas installs coming up. Oh, so of course. Yeah. Touching up Christmas ornaments and I'll be helping with Christmas decor. And then um, one of the women I work with through the IATSE local here, which I'm officially a part of now. Um, yeah, I was going to ask you that. Congrats. Yes. Yes. Beth finally swore me in. <laughs> Um, so I'm making some inroads into Atlantic city to possibly run some shows and do some things in Atlantic city, you know, in between gigs oh. up here and kind of Marla goes back and forth between the two and she's like, you fit in great. We got to get you some more work. So, and Bev said that there's Christmas is going to be busy around Philadelphia. So there's always mm-hmm. that union work. Plus mm-hmm. when I lived down in Wilmington, I cooked professionally for a while. And so <laughs> Allie put me in touch with this woman who does catering for films here. So I want to get in touch with her. So if she needs an assistant or a prep chef or whatever, that I can do some catering and crafty on films and kind of open up that road as well. Yeah. And then you can combine both things, arts and cooking. That's exactly. awesome. Exactly. So what... You're part of IATSE under the costumes or under scenic? Yeah. So, yeah, I'm. It's seven nine. This local is seven ninety nine, and it's wardrobe mm-hmm. and wigs. Right. Right. That's awesome. Yeah, and not well, that I wouldn't, not that I wouldn't join other unions, but that one I've been doing a lot, and they need people. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was just a quick instant connection and Mm -hmm. wigs wigs are such a specialized skill and I kind of focused on that that if I was gonna I held off joining a union for a long time because I wasn't sure what direction I wanted to take and then I when I was in North Carolina I finally committed I even went and got my cosmetology license which I had been doing wigs for 15 years by the time I got that so I mean I'd already learned to cut and color hair so I just kind of went through the steps to officially be licensed just so that, um, yeah, I know a lot of um, people in theater who do wigs and makeup who have their cosmetology license, just cause it kind of like takes you a step further. But also I know a lot of people who besides wigs and makeup will then also like cut the performer's hair on a regular basis if they need to, or, you know, exactly, exactly. And that works out better if you're working on a show because then, you know, you're going to give the correct cut or color touch up every right. time to keep it consistent for the show. Whereas if you go to an out, side salon if they don't truly understand what it's about or what needs to happen or what the period Mm -hmm. might be and why you have to have something specific you can get inconsistencies well jesus now that i know this i know that next time i'm in philly i can get my hair cut i was thinking of getting reds next time so yeah oh we could have some fun if you want to (laughs) do it it'll be exciting yeah it will be exciting I had another question. Oh, you answered my question. I was going to ask you like how long until you join the union, but you answered that question. Well, actually I was, I was supposed to be sworn in in October and (laughs) I was on my way into this was a crazy day. I was on my way into city and I thought I was going to make a day of it. Like that was the only thing I had going on. I was going to get sworn in. So I was celebrating. So I put on a cute outfit and I did my hair and my makeup and I felt like a girl and I had these cute (laughs) on like not practical for working none of my outfit was practical for working 
I know, but you're like, just supposed to get sworn in. So why not? Celebrate? Yeah. And then I was going to go like shopping and have lunch and meet up with a friend and, and everything. And right as I'm about to come into the city, Elisa calls me and says, Hey, can you be at the Kimmel center? Like as soon as possible. And I was like, well, I'm just about in the city. I'm going to get sworn in. And she's like, Oh no, you don't have to be there for that. You can just, can you just go work this job and, and don't worry about that. And she and Bev had gotten their signals crushed. She thought I was getting voted in. She's like, we can vote you in without you. You're voted in. <laughs> can you go work this job? <laughs> then she realized it was actually the swearing in. But I went and worked the job. And then, <laughs> so I'm totally not dressed to run a show. And I go to rehearsal. In the middle of the day between rehearsal and the show, I try to drive home to get my black and be able to run a show comfortably. And my car literally died on the highway. Oh no! <laughs> my car that I've had for 18 years, my longest relationship, is over. <laughs> Dies. But that was, but that was a big deal. That car I bought when I worked at Arena Stage a million years ago, and I was making a living as an artist, and I could afford mm. to buy my own car. And this was, you know, not too long after college. I was in my mid 20s. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's you know? really good. That that's amazing. Like, that was a big deal to me. And I, nobody helped me. I wouldn't accept any help. I did it all on my own as an artist growing up in the DC area where everybody said, theater's not a real job. I can't believe you let her major in that. You, what right. are you really going to do? What do you, what's real yep. work? You know? Yep. So that was a big, I got a real job. I got a real car moment, you know, <laughs> and, and I can still be an artist. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you know, then I, so the car broke down, but I made it back to the show and then I got sworn in this month and I left, <laughs> I was literally scenic painting at Bucks County, left those touch-ups to go downtown to get sworn in, to go right back and then to finish up some more painting. <laughs> <laughs> as you do. As you yeah. do as a freelance artist. You should have just done what Megan and I did during the festival. Every time we ran out of clothes, we just went and bought more clothes. I would have just like gone across the street or gone to Old Navy, bought blacks and went back to work. <laughs> I've, I've well, had to do that. I, you know, I thought about it. <laughs> <laughs> I think Megan and I both did that on like one or two occasions during the festival. We're like, we did, just don't have time for laundry. I'll just go buy some more pants and a couple more shirts and we'll be good to go. Right. Actually, the shirt and pants that I'm wearing now, I bought during tech week because I ran out of time to do laundry. Oh, you poor thing. But I, I can see stripes on your shirt. They look really cute. Yeah, thanks. I like the colors. Uh, <laughs> yeah, they're nice fall colors. I'm going to pretend that yeah, it's still fall out and not Well, those summer. are good. Those are good colors for you with your hair color and your skin tone. Those are good colors for you. Awesome. Good. I'll keep more of these colors. That's good yes. to know. Okay. Buy, yeah, buy some warm, of those for me, too. They, yeah, they're, they warm up your face. I need, more, I need more warm colors. I complain that I'm too white all the time, so... I mean, well, they re- they reflect warmth into your skin and bring out the warmth of your skin tone. <laughs> this is this is good to know. All good stuff. Yes. Very artsy. She's very good. <laughs> She's very, I know. She has this eye for art and color, which I do not have. I'm yeah, much exactly. more of a practical person. I wear yeah, whatever she sends me. I have a certain set of skills, and I'm good with shapes and colors. <laughs> Those are very which important is all you need because you're making a living at it, which is you know. What's so awesome about it, which is again, why we do this podcast and why we think it's so wonderful to talk to so many different people. Because what you just said, like you can make a living doing this. You don't you don't need to get an engineering degree like you can make a living being an artist and uh, and you're happy doing it, which is. Yeah, the I best mean, thing I about just, it. Uh, 
it is not often that a week goes by where I don't take a moment and stop and go, I am like the luckiest person on the planet. Look at what I get to do. I get to be so happy and I get a rush and I get to live my passion. And you change, like you go from painting to wigs to makeup to catering to all kinds of things. That's what I love about theater is that I don't do the same thing every day. Rarely are there two days in a row I do the same thing. Exactly. Exactly. I agree with that 100%. I think everybody should should take time, like you just said, take time every now and then and stop and think and just be like, how lucky are you? And I had this conversation with a friend a few weeks ago and he was complaining about something. I was like, I'm sorry, I need you to stop a minute. Tell me where you live and tell me what job you're working on right now and just think about what that means. He was like, yeah, you're right. It's pretty fucking awesome. And I was like, thank you. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) This is exactly So, you know, it is. I mean, when I... When I broke my leg last year, part of the hardest thing was that I couldn't work. Was that I yeah, couldn't that's exactly do what I'm anything. suffering from. Yeah, Cindy's recent Facebook post is complaining about being stuck on the couch. She hates it. Yeah, me too. I I like to do and be active and to be forced to sit down and not be creating and be a part of anything, not be yeah. a part of a project or a show. It was so depressing. When, like, I don't have the people interaction, like, even though I'm sitting here knitting and creating something, like, I'm in this house all by myself, and I'm like, somebody, anybody, and I actually now have a coffee date with with Jakob this weekend, because I was like, I just want to hang out with somebody. He's like, I'm in Germany, but we can have a coffee date online, and I was like, done, as long as I could talk to somebody. Oh, nice. (laughs) Nice. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. I think I talked to you on the phone for like an hour and a half the other day. And half the time, like I was cooking and you were doing whatever, but we were on the phone, not saying anything. And occasionally (laughs) I'd be like, damn it, I spilled something. (laughs) (laughs) Because I I needed a companion. I have nobody to talk to right now. Uh, So we're getting close. Well, no, we're not getting close. We passed an hour already, which we're supposed to try (laughs) to open in an hour. But, you know. This is what happens when we love our jobs. So we have one last question, which I know you know we're going to ask because you've listened to podcasts. Do you have any twin stories? Okay, well, I have a professional twin story and I have a personal twin story. Ooh. Can you tell both? Two twin stories. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll tell both and then you can keep or cut whichever one (laughs) works or doesn't work. Okay, so my professional one is um, we were doing a version of streetcar at arena stage. And we had this director, Janos from Eastern Europe. And I can't remember which country. Um, And we did this kind of different take on streetcar where at the beginning they played this haunting music and they had these twin girls come out dressed like the twin girls from the shining that were supposed to be Blanche and her sister. And it was kind of a um, memory of them young. Like young debutantes? Yeah. And they were in these dresses, but they were kind of mimicking the way they the were shiny. dressed. Yeah. They were, <laughs> the girls were like a year apart or something and looked almost uh-huh. like twins. And they were mimicking the the girl in The Shining that's that's doubled to look like twins in the beginning with this haunting music. And then you go into the full play and the soundtrack was Stevie Wonder which was really interesting. Um, But so we had these two girls and they didn't know what the shining was. 
but they knew just from everybody talking that they were replicating the the creepy girl from the shining and that they were they were the younger version of the two sisters like they had them they showed them playing together and kind of established the relationship of them as children that's kind of a cool theory because you never they they talk about it but they never actually you exactly. don't really know about their relationship when they were younger so exactly so it's like this memory dream sequence and they're dressed like twins and dressed like the girl from the shining but then Stevie Wonder music. Yeah, yeah. He went with, well, okay. So the guy who played Stanley um, hung out with Janos, the director, one night. And they smoked a little and they drank a little. And he started playing him Stevie Wonder and convinced Janos that that some of the Stevie Wonder songs should be in. And to be honest, in the I show. Can't, it was so many years ago. I can't remember which specific Stevie Wonder songs I just remember I do remember that it's like on the tip of my tongue which songs and I love Stevie Wonder Uh, (laughs) but but it was Stevie Wonder throughout and it worked it was different but it actually the songs that they picked actually worked for the play and it was a great production it was really well received it was a different take and Janos's thing to the actors was always, you have to, you have to earn your pauses. And so he <laughs> didn't want them to over pause throughout. And that was like, earn your pauses, earn your pauses throughout the production. So that was, so that's that twin story. So those girls learned that it was a creepy thing that they were doing. So they would get together and show up around corners and made it a point <laughs> to creep everybody out backstage. So, like, I'd come around the corner to go into my wig shack to, you know, from doing a change or something. And the girls would be standing there and scare you. Or they'd hide backstage if you were coming off stage and just be standing there. And they would just show up at different times. And they got a kick out of it. Yeah. yeah. Too. Even the though they were twins. too young to know about The Shining. So, that's, Still, my, that's, okay. that's my professional twin story. It was, it was fun. It was a good time. My personal twin story was um, my personal reason for moving up to Philly is my boyfriend. And actually, we dated in high school. Uh And in between us dating in high school, I went to high school with a set of twins who were in my grade. And we were all in in this one um, class together. It was like a vocab class that gets you ready for SATs and it's advanced vocabulary words and stuff like that for a semester and I used to get dirty looks from them all the time never knew until years later when he and I reconnected 30 years later and are now together that the girls had a crush on him and were mad at me because we were dating (laughs) (laughs) but he could never keep their names straight so they would get mad at him because he couldn't keep them straight (laughs) that sucks so that's my that's my personal <laughs> twin story. I don't know if that's a if that's a good story or no, not. No, that's but. not a good one because it's it's always funny to us. Like people are like, oh, we don't know any twins, or some people have like you know twenty twin stories. So I both of your stories are twins scaring you and then twins being mad at you. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and I had no idea why. I had no idea why until years later 
when he and I reconnected and I found out the whole behind the scenes. And I was like, do you know how much hell I got? <laughs> <laughs> so many jealousy. Yeah, jealousy from these girls. <laughs> That's right. awesome. Yeah. That was really cool. Well, thank you so, so much for joining us on our podcast. I'm so glad we were able to connect and, and make it work. And um, yeah. yeah, me too. I'm so sorry. It took so long. I got, I oh. didn't think I would be as busy as I have been. And I'm thankful, knock on wood, that I've been so busy and that the work just yeah. keeps coming. So. Yeah, no, that's the best part. I swear every yes. time, and I don't remember what podcast we're on, 58 or whatever. I think almost every single one we've had to like schedule or reschedule or change or like postpone by three months because people's schedules. But that's just how it is. Like that's how, you know, the theater world works. There's actually someone I talked to yesterday. He was like, I'm busy now, but I'll be back in March. And I was like, okay, we'll have an interview in March. Like, yeah. In fact, right on. Put that on the books for the future. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Because that's just how our lives go. So I think it's this awesome. Afternoon, think this it's afternoon, we have a podcast and I just moved it an hour so I could go pick up my husband from work because his car's in the shop. <laughs> so just rescheduled <laughs> that one. Exactly. Exactly. Work comes up. Life comes up. You never know. Yep. And we're all flexible. That's what makes it awesome. Well, thank you. Exactly. Thank you. Thank you. I'll, I'll let you know. I'm going to try to make a trip down to Philly in the next couple of weeks. Oh, I want to go to please. this like Christmas fair and yes. Megan and I want to go see one of Dito's shows. So, um, <gasps> oh my we're God, have to make a trip of it and I'll let you know I when would, I come to Philly. Please do. I would, would love awesome? to see one. Yes. I would yeah. love to see one of Dito's shows. Cause I didn't get to see anything. Uh, and we're going to drag Max with us and maybe Jay. It's going to be awesome. Oh my gosh. Well, you well, have a driver. I would love it she knows if you would streets. include me. Yeah, I will. I'll let you know. I got to figure out when I could actually drive again and when I could walk again. I totally <laughs> understand that. <laughs> and then I'll make a trip to Philly and it'll be awesome and we can all reconnect. So, yay. Oh, that would be great. I so look forward to that. Yay. Well, thank you so much. Uh, we'll let yes, you know when, you when the podcast comes out and I uh, hope to see you soon. Thanks, Christy. Absolutely. Take care of your foot. And it was so nice to meet you. Yeah, you oh, yeah. too. Because I didn't meet Christy. Because <laughs> I didn't. I know. I forget who Stacy knows and Stacy doesn't know. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know, Stacy. I think you're interesting because you're out there being a TD out in California. I think that's so cool. Yeah. yeah. See, everybody has cool lives. We just don't think they're cool until we start talking about them for over an hour. Then we're like, oh, yeah, I do do cool stuff. <laughs> I do have a pretty awesome life. This is amazing. <laughs> well, ladies, thank you for letting me be a part of your awesome podcast. Yeah, thanks for thanks joining for, us. And we'll talk to listening. you soon. Okay, thanks. Take care. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. For more, visit our website at twinstalktheater.podbean.com and subscribe on iTunes or Google Play Music. You can also interact with us on Facebook or Instagram at Twinstock Theater. Title music, Dance Macabre, is provided by Kevin McLeod of IncomTech.com under Creative Commons License 3.0.